Thank you so much. Good morning. Thank you for having me here uh, to be with you to share some of my experiences about uh, hearing from God. Uh, and uh, also thank you, Marie, for that very kind and warm introduction earlier. Uh, as she said, uh, my wife Caroline, our two boys, and our little girl Jessica moved here recently uh, to take over the directorship at Restore Hope, which many of you are already going to be familiar with uh, Restore Hope. Um, but if you're not, we're a charity, a local charity that works with children, young people, and families, inspiring them, training them, equipping them, uh, and hopefully doing what it says on the 10, restoring their hope. We're based on a farm that is only about three miles down uh, the Latimer Road on the left-hand side, and we're always looking for volunteers and supporters. So if you want to put your wellies on, come on down and get stuck in. Uh, just talk to Caroline or I after the service, uh, and we'd be happy to help get you involved. Right, so before we get started, we are just uh, going to p open up our Bible. Uh, you can pull out the book in front of you, uh, turn to page 346. I found it for you um, earlier today. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Kings 19, and we're going to be starting in verse 11. Now, most of you are already going to, to know this story, Elijah a prophet of the Lord is running for his life right now. Things aren't going so well for prophets of the Lord. In fact, Elijah says himself that he's the last one. He's running for his life because he's being pursued to be put to death by the sword. So we're going to pick this up in verse 11 where Elijah is standing inside the cave. The words will also be up here on the screen in case you want to follow along. So verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So we'll come back and unpack that a bit more later. Uh, but I just wanted to give you a little bit more context about who I am and why I'm here. So we only moved here recently, October, in fact, uh, Caroline, our twin sons, Benji and Ethan, and our beautiful daughter, uh, Jessica, who is in the kids' work now. Uh, and uh, Jessica, we adopted only five years ago. In fact, I think five years ago today, she came home to us. Yeah, five years ago today, she came home to us. She's eight years old. She's doing magnificently. We moved here from a farm in the Cotswolds, and one of the challenges about accepting the job at Restore Hope was that as a family, we pretty much have a Noah's Ark worth of animals that live with us. I said that to the trustees and they said not to worry and if you've been to Restore Hope, you'll appreciate this. They said to me, don't worry, we've got plenty of land. So we packed up uh, three dogs, four cats, two rabbits, 16 chickens, four ducks, two pigs, two Shetland ponies and a chameleon. <laughs> you thought I was gonna say a partridge in a pear tree. Um, I'm sure one of those is in our future as well. Um, so we brought a lot of animals with us, and I'm sure you can appreciate moving with animals is logistically pretty difficult. Taking them from, from one habitat to another is complicated, and if you know cats in particular, 
you know that there's some special rules around how you move cats. You're supposed to keep them indoors for a minimum of two weeks, slowly introducing them room by room and, uh, until they start to understand their surroundings and get used to where they are. Um, if you also know about cats, then you know that they don't like being told where they can and can't go. And so uh, every night at about 2 a.m., we'd start hearing the song of their people, and it's not a pretty song. And if you don't respond to that song, if you don't go open the door and let them into somewhere else, if you don't respond to that song, then they decide to use any soft surface that they can get to as a litter tray. So we're talking mattresses, piles of clothes, rugs, furniture. Suffice it to say, we did not survive the two weeks with our cats indoors. Now, one of our cats, um, Jack, uh, he's going to come up here on the screen. One of our ch cats, he's our old boy. He's 11 years old, and uh, he's always been a bit adventurous and confident. Now, about a month after moving in, he went missing. He's always made it for, for nighttime meal or, or for nighttime cuddles. And, and, and when we noticed he wasn't with us, this was on a Wednesday night, we started to get concerned. And after a few days, we started praying for him, thinking, you know, maybe Jack, he, he's just got lost somewhere and he's just working his way out and trying to find his way home. By Saturday morning, we were really concerned. So we put on our wellies, we walked to the far edges of the property, and we were calling for him, expecting to find him injured in a hedge or worse. But again, nothing. We didn't find Jack. So fast forward to Tuesday morning. This has been almost a week now, and I shared this story with my staff team at our morning uh, prayer uh, team, team staff meeting. And uh, one of my colleagues at the end of that uh, meeting said to me, do you mind if I just pray for Jack? Can I? And I said, of course, you can pray for Jack. Uh, and so she, she prayed for Jack, and afterwards she came to me and she said, Nate, and we didn't know each other very well at the time, but she said, Nate, I felt a bit weird praying for a cat, and, and I prayed out of obedience, um, but I don't want you to think that Jack is just going to return just because I prayed for him. I, I don't really expect anything to come of it. I said, that's, that's fine. Don't worry. Uh, and so that night at dinner, uh, I sat down, and we shared that with the kids. I said to the kids, um, just in passing, uh, today our, our team prayed for Jack. They prayed that he would return. But Caroline and I, at that point, we hadn't heard from God. We weren't feeling anything about Jack at that point. And so we decided between us that we were going to shift from hope to mourning. And we were deciding that evening how we were going to share that with the kids because we needed to walk them through that process very slowly. It had been a rainy week, the mood was very low, and we went to bed that night heartbroken for Jack. I'm, I'm gonna come back to that story in a little bit and share how each of us heard God as a result of this story later. I understand from Martin and Marie and Josh that you've been uh, studying hearing from God, exploring hearing from God here at the beginning of 2023. We need to be reminded as Christians that hearing from God and listening to God is probably one of the most important things that we can do as Christians. Now, you remember when Josh started this series, he shared the story of Mary and Martha and how Jesus far preferred Mary's response by sitting at his feet and listening to him than he did Martha's response of running around and practicing hospitality and preparing the house for his visit. Since that message, I know that you've spent time on testimonies, on prayer, on discernment, on challenges, and last week Peter spoke on prophecy. And after today, I know you're going to be studying uh, how you hear God in the day-to-day, -day, healing, evangelism. 
So what I want to suggest maybe is that today as we sit here, we're taking that transition from the learning to listen, the hearing, into the active calling and the doing. What do you do as a result of hearing from God? So today I'm here to encourage us. I'm here to encourage us in that transition moment to actively pursue the hearing from God and then being courageous and stepping out in faith as a result. So today, I'm gonna share with you uh, some things that I learned, that I was taught whenever I first started learning about hearing from God. I learned three filters. They're gonna come up here on the screen and we'll unpack each of these um, independently of each other. But the three filters are, is this vision or word consistent with what I know from scripture? Does it hold historic truth and is it founded on biblical principles? The second word is, uh, or sorry, the second filter is, is this consistent with how I have heard God from God in the past? Does it feel like God speaking to me? And the third one is, what do others I trust think about this word or vision? As it says in Corinthians, we should weigh our words and vision with others we trust. So, number one, and probably most importantly, is this word or vision consistent with what I know of the Scriptures? So, have you ever noticed that when you spend a good amount of time talking to someone else in relationship with another person, your tempo of speech, your intonation, your rhythms, they slowly start to move to the middle and you merge together? This is a natural phenomenon called prosody alignment or mirroring. That's a subconscious way of showing that you feel comfortable in communication with that other person. Now, in many cases, and particularly when you spend a lot of time with one other person, your accent even starts to merge together. You notice this particularly if you've moved away from your family home and then, uh, and then you go back and visit at some point. Now, I'm from Texas. You may not uh, have, have uh, thought that from my, my accent, but when I do go home and I speak to my mom, it's all, howdy, y'all, how you doing? Mama, thank you so much for this chicken fried steak. It's lovely. <laughs> my mom loves that. Um, she's going to be watching, and hopefully she'll be sending me some chicken fried steak as a result of, of this talk this morning. Um, so I, w- I would suggest that that happens also when we talk to God when we're in communication with God, when we pray, and particularly when we pray out loud. We speak in a rhythm or a tempo or an intonation, and we even use words that we wouldn't normally use in our day-to-day life. You're subconsciously showing the Lord that you are comfortable in that relationship because you are speaking in a way that you feel like He has spoken to you. And how does He speak to us? Some ways He speaks to us through the Bible. And so you look back and you think about how He has spoken to us through those words, and you might pray, Father God, thank you so much for this day. I sit in full expectation that your glory will fall, and I yearn, Lord, to understand more of your spirit, and I pray abundant blessings over all those I come in contact with. Now, I don't use that same language or that same intonation or even some of those same words when I'm talking to someone else in my day-to-day life. I don't sit here and say, my wife, Caroline, thank you, thank you for being with me this morning. 
Thank you for delivering me this blessed cup of coffee in bed. I yearn to understand your goodness and your kindness so that I might share that with others. As an aside, she does not bring me coffee in bed. <laughs> but, but probably counterpoint, if I spoke to her like that, she might do it more often. <laughs> um, so what I'm trying to say here is how we talk to God is instrumental in how we hear from God. So we have God's Word at our fingertips. We have the Bible at our fingertips, and we know that when we read it and we stay in communication with Him, our prosody is aligning with His. We're entering into a communicative relationship with Him. We are aligning with Him. We use our words as tools so that we can understand definitions and concepts. And so when we're speaking to the Lord and we're hearing from the Lord and reading His Word, we're understanding His concepts. And these are concepts such as love and forgiveness and courage and redemption, right? So this first filter, I can understand that this word or vision that God is laying on my heart is from Him because it's consistent with what I know of the Scriptures. And now as an aside, I understand it can be hard to read the Bible. There's times when it's really hard for me to read the Bible. So I just want to suggest maybe a few easy ways in. Um, use your phone. Go, go, go to an app. There's a couple that I use. Uh, one of them is Bible in a Year and Lectio 365. Just put it on and, and listen to it as you drive to work or uh, as you're sitting having your morning cup of coffee or tea. Surround yourself with worship. Listen to praise and worship music. In the morning when I'm making my kids breakfast, I ask my smart speaker to play Christian praise and worship music. And it prays for me a randomized playlist and I'm just being filled with truth in that moment. And I use those words throughout my day because a song I might hear in the morning may not touch me right then, but it might later on that day that, I, that I'm subconsciously singing through those lyrics and it causes me to think, oh, I should go pop open my Bible. I should find that verse. That's truth that I need in my day. So I open up my Bible, and I might have a reference book with me, so I might be able to understand the links that the Lord is trying to lead me to through that verse, right? And if I don't, and this might be controversial, I just use Google. I type into Google, verses about hearing from God, and it comes up with a huge long list. And I might read through a few of those, and I might see a couple that touch me in that moment, and I think, oh, I want to investigate those further. So I'll go back to my Bible and I'll read the verses either side of that one. Or I'll read the whole chapter. And I'll start to understand a bit more of the context about what God is saying to me in that moment through His Word. I'll research the author of that particular book in the Bible. What was going on in their life when they were writing that book of the Bible? So throughout all of this, all this research and, and, and through the understanding and the talking and the hearing, I'm aligning with his prosody. So at that point, maybe I can feel confident that the first filter has been passed, that the word or vision that I'm hearing from God is biblically based and it's found in scriptures. So therefore I move on to the next filter. Is this consistent with how I have heard from God in the past? Now, previous to working at Restore Hope, I worked for a church in central London. We had, uh, when I started, we had two services in one central London location, and we were quickly shifting that model to a multi-site model with four services based in four locations around London. 
also when I started, we as a church were uh, uh, aligning with Home for Good, which many of you will know the charity Home for Good. They concern themselves with fostering and adoption. Caroline and I, in, our, in, in that early time, uh, needed to investigate and research a bit more about this multi-site model and how, how churches can, can expand out from just a single location. And so we traveled up to Aberdeen and uh, we went to a church there that had gone from one site to, I think they were at seven sites at the time. And on that Sunday, we traveled around to each of the sites. And it also just so happened that that was their Vision Sunday. And one of the core values of that church was adoption. So all throughout the day, Caroline and I were meeting people who were adoptive parents or who were supportive of adoptive parents. Also, the main message that day was from Home for Good. It was Chris Kandaya, who at the time was leading that charity. And he was talking about adoption and fostering. So you can imagine, as we were leaving that place, God was really laying it on our hearts to open our heart and open our home to another child. And in those early conversations, we identified the gender of the child that we were hoping to adopt and the age of the child we were hoping to adopt. And it hit me in, in, in a really powerful way. I remember the exact moment where I was when I realized that that meant that my daughter must already be alive. And when that landed on me, I had two visceral urgency reactions. Number one, to pray for her safety every single day. And number two, to relentlessly pursue her until she was safely home with us. Now that moment I'm talking about was clearly God speaking to me. I knew it, I knew as soon as I heard it. We had been shopping that morning and we were driving home from Stratford, uh, Westfield and Stratford and we were looking at the Olympic Park and I remember that gut, that impression, that deep calling out to me that said, go get your daughter. That was what I heard in that moment. And because I'd heard God speak to me in that way in the past, that was the confirmation that I needed, that he was actively calling us into adoption. So we're gonna jump back now to the story of Elijah, right? Elijah, if you remember, in the days leading up to him standing at the face of the cave, he'd been running for his life. He'd run for a whole day into the desert. He must have been hungry and uh, tired and thirsty and hot. You know, all of these things going on inside his body. And so he saw a bush, he crawled under the bush and he asked to die. He prayed, Lord, let me die. But that's not what the Lord did. The Lord came down in the form of an angel, tapped him on the shoulder, woke him up and said, Elijah, wake up, I've brought you some food. He did that twice. The second time, Elijah, wake up, I brought you some food and some water. You're gonna need that because your journey is gonna be hard. Now what we know is that when someone we love is suffering and struggling and they go lay down, we don't go in there and wake them up by yelling at them and by shaking them. We go up there uh, and we see them and we sit down gently on their bedside. We might tap them on the shoulder or stroke their back. We put a, a little glass of water and, and, and maybe a piece of toast on their bedside table and we say, listen, when you're ready, when you wake up, have that, you're gonna need it. Gentle, tender, right? And that was how the angel spoke to Elijah in that moment. From there, Elijah spent 40 days traveling from that tree to the cave. 40 days. And, and, and research, scholarly research shows that that trip should have only taken about seven or eight days in terms of the distance from the tree to the cave. So Elijah was clearly going through some things. He was clearly struggling, he was wandering, and he was thinking through things. And we don't know what happened in those 40 days. 
But I guarantee you, if it was me, not an hour would go by where I don't reflect back on that angel waking me up gently and tenderly and giving me the encouragement that I needed. So in the cave, it's no wonder that he knew it wasn't God's voice in that cracking wind. He knew it wasn't God's voice in the earthquake or in the fire, but as soon as he hears that gentle whisper, he puts on his cloak and he steps out. He knows that that's God's voice. Why? Because that's how God spoke to him 40 days earlier. It was consistent with how he had heard from God. And God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And they had a conversation, and Elijah suddenly felt that he now had an active calling, so he went back. He was bold. He was courageous. He went back, and he raised up three more prophets, one of which was Elisha. So, here are a few examples of how we might hear from God. Um, We might hear from God through Scripture. As we've learned already this morning, as we've heard already this morning, God speaks to us through His Word. He communicates what is timelessly true, and also He connects His Word to our own personal circumstances. It says in Hebrews, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God might also speak to us through creation, His creation. He communicates about His eternal nature. He gives insights into general principles, but also, again, speaks to our own personal circumstances through His creation. From Romans, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood what has been made so that people are without excuse. God also speaks to us through that still small voice. So what Elijah experienced at the, at the front of that cave from 1 Kings 19. He also speaks to us through visions. Perhaps this means it's a static picture or a moving scene. These take place before the open eye and their visions of physical things. This is one of my favorite ones from Amos. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos, he asked, a basket of ripe fruit. I answered, then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people, Israel. He also speaks to us through dreams. Dreams are visions that happen while we're asleep. They're often highly symbolic. They might need interpretation. Uh, And sometimes we simply observe and other times we interact with those dreams. And dreams, as we all know, happen all throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament. Daniel, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dreams. God speaks to us also through impressions. God may communicate through internal means, like a sudden gut impression. It might be a a quick thought that you have, a picture in your imagination. The Spirit communicates with our spirit in that moment. From 2 Corinthians, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God also speaks to us through angels. 
Angels are messengers from God. They might appear to us physically or in visions or dreams. Sometimes we don't even recognize we're in the presence of angels. From the most wonderful story ever told, an angel of the Lord appeared in, front in, in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And the last one that I'll share with you this morning, signs and wonders. God may show us a sign or a miracle that communicates a message. Some of these might be in creation, in nature. Moses led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, throughout my life, I've had many of these words from God, many of these visions from God, but the one that I've always felt deepest and most consistently is that deep, sudden impression from my gut calling out to me, such as, go get your daughter. Have you experienced any of these? Yeah. Are you experiencing any of these right now? Maybe not as you sit here today, but throughout the past week or, or as you've been exploring this series about hearing from God. Perhaps you have, and, and, and you haven't had the language to put to it, or probably more to the point, you haven't taken the time to consider it. So what we're going to do at the end of this talk today is we're just going to stay still for a few minutes, and we're just going to think about where God might have been speaking to us recently. And if we can apply that first filter, it's consistent with Scripture, and the second filter, that it feels like God how God speaks to me, then we can move on to the third filter, which is to weigh it with others that we trust, to share it with someone else. So the biblical principle of weighing is mentioned all throughout the Bible, particularly in the context of interpretation of words and dreams and visions. It's helpful to have someone reflect back to you what they hear and to challenge this with you, to test it with you, or perhaps to, to help interpret your dreams with you. And then the two of you can take that word to maybe to your home group or your friendship group or, or here to the church and share that. It's a bit of that checks and balances system. But also, when someone you trust confirms a word or a vision inside of you, then for the most part, they're going to travel that journey with you. Early doors, when we shared our heart about adoption, about our heart for adoption with our family and friends, they agreed that they thought, yeah, we think you guys are made for such a thing as this. And that meant that they traveled the hard way with us. Now, I'm sure you can appreciate the adoption journey is, is wrought, wrought with challenges. There's lots of hills, there's lots of valleys. It's a tough road to go. But because we had shared our word with people that we trusted, they encouraged us all throughout. They celebrated the highs and they stood with us in those valleys. Now, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this third point because I think this is something we naturally do in community. We share our hopes and our fears and our dreams, but maybe what I'm standing here to, to say to you today isn't so much about you, it's about the other person and playing the role of that other person in someone else's life. Ask the hard questions. How's God speaking to you right now? Have you heard from God recently? What's He saying to you? Challenge that. Go on that hard journey together with each other. So back to the story about Jack. I left you on quite the cliffhanger. Um, so Caroline and I that night, we had, uh, we had decided that night we were going to move from Morning to Hope. 
sorry, from hope to mourning, got that backwards, move from hope to mourning. We were going to, to uh, pray, thank you for Jack's life, God bless him, and wish him into wherever he was meant to be next. And we needed to share that with the children. So we were debating, how are we going to talk the children through this? And we went to bed that night heartbroken. I kid you not, 4 a.m., that night, I go into the kitchen, and spoiler alert, but Jack was there. <laughs> he, was, he was there. And, and you remember I said it was raining all week. He was dry, and he was uninjured, and he was standing in my kitchen. He was a bit thin, but he was there. So I scooped him up, and I took him into our bedroom, and I gave him to Caroline, who was fast asleep. She thought she was having a dream. <laughs> but she was beside herself with joy when she woke up, and she cuddled him and held him tight until the morning. So that morning at breakfast, kids came down and I sat them down and we talked about it. We talked about Jack coming back and, and they were almost nonplussed. And I said to them, guys, aren't you surprised? And my oldest son, Benji, he looked at me and said, no, why would we be surprised? You said that your team prayed for him yesterday. <sighs> you can imagine what that did inside of me. So... Uh, four months later, Jack is doing well. He doesn't go out very much anymore. We don't know what he saw or what he did in that week, um, but he's, he's very much an indoor cat <laughs> now. Um, but what I want to do here is I want to look back at those three groups, those three different piece, people that were involved in that story and talk about how God uh, spoke to them through that. So we've got Caroline and myself, we've got our three children, and we've also got my, my colleague who prayed for Jack in that moment. Um, so now the kids, they have an experience of the power of prayer. They have an experience of the reassurance, that still small voice from their parents reassuring them that Jack is going to come back and he's going to be okay because the team prayed for them, prayed for him. They will forever be able to say that they now have heard God's voice clearly in that reassuring voice from their parents. And that's going to be a building block for how they listen out for and hear God in the future. For Caroline and I, we heard, we've, we've heard God's voice retrospectively. We've heard God say to us, my answers, Nate and Caroline, to prayer come in three ways. You get a yes, you get a no, and you get a not yet. Listen out for my not yet and pay attention to my not yet because you should live in confidence that I have a plan for you and your life. And the third, the third one, my staff member, remember she came to me afterwards and sheepishly she said to me, I felt a bit weird praying for a cat and uh, I don't want you to get your hopes up because I just prayed out of obedience. Well, what she has said since that moment is she's now heard from God say to her, don't just pray out of obedience, pray out of expectation. Pray knowing that, you're, that, that you uh, have power in your words. Bring me your petitions is what the Lord has said to her. And now she has an experience of my kid's testimony. She has an experience now of us being in community, community together and weighing our prayers and sharing our prayers together. So, I'm just gonna leave you with this last thought. By now, we've all heard of Asbury University in Kentucky. Have we heard of Asbury? Yes. I'm assuming probably you've even spoken about it from the front here over the past couple of weeks. Uh, if you don't know, Asbury University in Kentucky um, is a, a Christian school, and on the 8th of February in the morning, uh, there was a prayer meeting that took place at 10 a.m. They were celebrating Black History Month. In the States, February is uh, Black History Month, and so there was a couple of gospel choirs that got up to sing, they had a, a meeting uh, that, that went on and they talked about the, the honoring 
uh, Black History Month within that university setting, uh, and then they prayed, and then the meeting ended. At about 10.45 that morning, the meeting ended, and everybody started to make their way out. But a couple of people on the steps outside started sharing how they'd recently heard from God, started sharing with each other some of that story about where they were at in their life, and they thought, do you know what? Actually, why don't we, why don't we just go back in and pray for that? So just a few people went back in and, and started praying in that building, in that auditorium. And then somebody, in the course of that prayer, said, oh, well, there's a guitar. Why don't I just grab a guitar? and I'll just start singing. And so they started worshiping. That was about 11 a.m. that morning. By 3 p.m. that afternoon, the president of the university sent an email to the entire faculty and staff that said something's going on at the auditorium, or chapel, I don't know what word they use for it, the chapel on campus. I would encourage you to get down there and have a look. That's four hours later. 11 a.m., a couple of people took the courage to share how God had been speaking to them on the steps outside of the auditorium, and four hours later, that campus was completely on fire for Christ. Where are you gonna be in four hours from now? (laughs) Where are you gonna be four hours from now? Something that I've started asking my staff at Restore Hope. Something that we share with each other maybe at a prayer meeting in the morning or, or a worship time. Are you prepared four hours from now to be completely on fire for Christ in a way that you weren't expecting it when you shared that word. So be bold, share with each other, encourage each other. 